0: Football is back and so is The Ringer NFL Show. Coming at you five days a week with wall-to-wall coverage from recapping the Sunday games, giving a player perspective, deep dives, and previewing the coming slate. Check out The Ringer NFL Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed, you're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal, our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at vioricom Simmons. Once again, v-u-o-r-i.com Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello Help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Ha <laughs> you've missed it, Yep. Yeah. Missed it.
2: Missed the drop. Missed the drop.
3: Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast, Naringa FC. I'm Musa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I am all right, thanks Musa. How are you? Very well indeed. Very well indeed. Um, yeah. Peaceful, warm despite it being very cold outside here in it the suburbs quite, of London. It is quite chilly here in Berlin as well. I think it's all of one degree outside. <gasps> it dipped to minus two or minus three last night as well, so it is chilly, but I am warm, which is good, which is very good. Warm heart. Let's not get too far, Ryan.
4: <laughs>
3: Cold heart, inveterate. It's, it's minus three at this moment. It's minus three. Your mentions are going to be a mess now. Well
4: done.
3: <laughs> anyway,
2: let's get into it. Let's do some admin. Let's do it. Uh, first of all we hope everyone's staying safe staying well getting vaccinated if you can getting the booster if you can second of all Wrighty's House is back next week as is the normal ringer FC schedule so Stadio Monday Wrighty's House on Wednesday Stadio again on Thursday Stadio Newsletter will be back next week as well if you want to sign up for that go to stadio.football scroll to the bottom pop your email address in Uh, you'll get a confirmation email so check your spam folder and uh, yeah we don't use it for anything else just to send you emails Had a couple of people get in touch about their number eight sweaters haven't arrived yet. Mine hasn't either yet. Moose has got his and he was in the UK. I'm in Germany. Mine haven't arrived yet. So apologies if they're taking a little while. If you haven't received them in a week or two, just reply to the email from Print Social that you should have got confirming it was shipped because it was all done through them. We didn't have any of the stock. So... Only the ones that got pre-ordered got printed, so they'll be able to help you a little bit more. But if you do have any problems, just drop us a line. TheRinger.com forward slash soccer. There'll be some stuff going up soon. So today, we're going to quickly, very, very, very quickly, just touch on a couple of games that we caught this week. Some cup action. Then we're going to talk a little bit about the Southampton takeover. And then, after that, we'll get into our kind of main thing, which is, is there too much football?
3: Is there too much football?
2: In another week, when... Gianni Infantino tried to just throw another tournament into the mix because fuck it, why not? More cowbell. It's wild. Why not? It's wild. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what? Let's just double the amount of another major tournament that we're going to have. I mean, let's just, just double All the, the frequency. Football. It's fine. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And also, we wanted to touch on this a little bit because news came out this week that David Proper is retiring from football at the age of 30. And a large part of that is down to hectic schedule causing him to kind of fall out of love with the game so we'll do that in part two Uh, but let's get into some of this week's football stuff after this
1: this episode is brought to you by viore i love sports i know you do too i also know that lots of you exercise but if you're like me and my wife the the beloved sports gal And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at vioricom Simmons. Once again, vuor slash Simmons.
2: All right, man. Do you want to very, very quickly touch on the Chelsea Spurs game? Yep, let's do it. Romelu Lukaku was back in the squad. He was back after telling the world, no one put me up to this and I'm being treated very well.
3: <laughs> I don't think, I, I, I think that is a classic example of the law and unintended consequences where one message to Inter has very adverse consequences.
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, did you see the, ch- the clip that Chelsea put up of his, his apologies to the fans? Yeah. So I watched the whole video, the actual whole interview that it came from and the whole interview was actually pretty chill. I thought, I thought he was, was good. Came across Pretty well in it. And we recorded Tuesday's episode ahead of this meeting and then the subsequent announcement of what was going to happen with Takaku. It's kind of pretty much as we said, right? He got a fine.
3: He was back in the squad. They tried to put a line underneath it. To be honest, a bit of a hot take too. Well, it's a podcast, so why not? When I saw that clip they posted, and a lot of people were like, oh my God, it's a hostage video. You know, it's funny. But I also thought, how much of that is for the dressing room? Mm. How much of that for the dressing room? Because if he created all this, um, controversy with the interview the initial interview then by issuing an apology he's saying not only to fans who I think will be tough to win back anyway to a large extent but to although having said that if Romelu Lukaku goes on a scoring run particularly in the Champions League and they win a Champions League back to back a lot of this is forgotten a lot of this is forgotten without question we've seen this in football so many times before but I think there's an element of in the dressing room you know he had very little support No one came out in public and said, hey, Romelu, we see it, we support you. No one actually did that. No one came out and said he's been misinterpreted. No one did that. So I think that that was also a kind of a message internally being like, I've made this huge mistake externally, Well, it's a comms mistake. I'm going to remedy it publicly as well. And I think you're just going to have to wear that. You know what I mean? that's, that's, That's how I saw that video. I saw it as a kind of it was a a much about internal damage limitation, maybe even more so than external. Um, But yeah, look, Chelsea against Spurs, they looked really, really good. Yeah, Spurs didn't do themselves any favours though, did they? They didn't, they didn't. Um, But the intensity of uh, of Chelsea was just too much. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the own goal wasn't, uh, how do I say this without being, no, the own goal was, there's a, there are two types of own goal, right? There's the own goal where like you know there's like dep- there's so much pressure from the attack they concede almost out of like just the intensity. It's almost like a relief when the ball goes in the net because the pressure is so much. And there's the other kind of own goal, own goal which is kind of almost it almost makes a faster football itself. Mm. And this second goal, I mean, let, let, let's sort of get it. Let's get it right first of all. So Chelsea taking the lead very early, deservedly through Kai Havertz. I missed um, that goal because I I was five minutes late to the game. I mean, <laughs> <would know that. laughs> yeah, um really nice movement from Harvard's and I, I really like the Harverts mount Lukaku front three. Uh I don't think it's the absolute best. I still think the absolute front best front three is Harvard's uh Lukaku. I like that most of all because I think it gives you the greatest variety of attacking tools. Mm. I do quite like what they did here. And two 0 oh, at the final score. Uh, ben Davies with a very unfortunate own goal to close it out. But actually, Spurs are fortunate. It was only two, I think.
2: Yeah, I agree. They didn't. They hardly created anything. What did they have? What four shots in total?
3: And there's one thing that's one thing I want to mention Five, very sorry. quickly. Was, yeah, Zieck put in a superb through ball. A Timo Werner ran onto it and tried to lob Loris, and there's without wanting to sort of, you know, cause a pile on. There's a thing about Werner's body language when he ran onto that through ball. And the moment he ran onto it, I was like, he's not scoring this. And it's something about the shoulders. It's something about the shoulders. When a striker puts the shoulders back, it's like, this is my moment. This is my-. And the shoulders never went back. The body language, <laughs> if you see that goal, if you look at it, the body language is hunched over it. And it's just not a confident... No. This is, not, this is not a confident player at this point in front of goal. Does that make sense?
2: I agree. The design commentators were very much like,
3: uh, Timo. Do you know why it's an unfair comment for me to an extent? Because last night I was going through you like YouTubers, as you and I often do, and I found a gem of a video. It was Pep, Mourinho, and Bobby Robson talking about uh, Ronaldo's season at Barcelona when he scores 47 wow. goals. And it's, in, it's 11, I got the chills. It is 11 minutes, 12 seconds of absolute joy. And that man was very much shoulders back in front of goal, Ronaldo. did he was shoulders back from the halfway line. Yeah, he was. And that's why it's maybe an unfair comparison because I went from watching peak Ronaldo, supremely confident of goal, to seeing Werner running onto a through ball against Spurs and going, maybe you need to watch more of those finishing videos and actually like enjoy the moment. Poor Timo though, that's such a hard comparison. No, it's, it's not hard because I read, I read novels by people far, far greater than I'll ever be to learn moment and pace. And one of the things I learned from writers who are far greater than I'll ever be is you don't have to make every sentence interesting. It just got me thinking. It's like, put your shoulders back, Timo. Enjoy, no. enjoy the moment.
2: Well, luckily enough, it wasn't decisive because they kind of cruised it. You sent me a great quote from Antonio Conte. He said, every game we suffer.
3: Yes, they love that word suffering, don't they, these I managers?
2: I know. Well, like Wenger used it as well. It was incredible. Chelsea will have too much in the second leg, right?
3: I think so. I think so.
2: Obviously, Arsenal-Liverpool was postponed because of Liverpool's COVID outbreak. In Spain, the Copa del Rey was back and there were some pretty entertaining games. There was a repeat of last season's legendary game between Alcoyano and Real Madrid. Yeah. It showed signs of potentially rep- history repeating itself. Militao put Real Madrid 1-0 <laughs> up and then uh, Alcoyano equalised through Danny Vega. But then two of probably the worst goals I've ever seen in a top-level fixture <laughs> won the game for Real Madrid. Asensio with a really, really scruffy goal and then a couple of minutes later um, it went down as a Figueres own uh, what goal. The Hazard
3: square for the Alcoyano finish. Oh yeah, the deflection, the massive deflection.
2: Yeah, and the one where Isco kind of just got
3: taken out and the ball went in. Can I say this actually about that uh that goal by Asensio? Okay, there's a, so he he scores and then the celebr I want to talk about the celebration. So he points the sky as if god is involved. Now let's listen. If god is doing, if god is watching, Rail Alcayano, which I very much doubt because god is a busy entity, right? So I very much doubt god is watching <laughs> Rail Alcayano. But in the event that God was actually watching Real Alcayano, <laughs> I very much doubt that God was like, "Oh, you know, what I'll do." By means of divine intervention, I'll give a deflection to Real Madrid against Alcayano. That's not happening, and yet Ascenso looks to the skies and thanks to gods. And yeah, it's, it's it's so funny when players do that. I'm like, I don't think I don't think God gave you that deflection. And I'm not a betting man, but I'm pretty sure.
2: <laughs> I mean, I think when deflections, when if anyone's going to intervene in a Real Madrid game like that, it's not going to be God, it's going to be like Voldemort.
3: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> What's that meme? Are we on the wrong side? You know?
2: <laughs> it was an act of God, right? It was an act of God, right?
3: Yeah. You know? <laughs> no, no, that wasn't me. No, no, that was not me. <laughs>
2: God's just like there filing his nails or something. Yeah. Being like, What? <laughs> There's nothing to do with me. Who are you talking about? <laughs> um barcelona <sighs> did a very barcelona thing and went 1-0 down to linarés mm. before usman dembélé scored a wonderful goal to get them back into it and then um, it looked generally brilliant yeah. yeah and then he hit the bar as well for that for that one
3: was it oh, just yeah. after
2: before jut just after
3: it was, it was a, they were torn up by that point already right but that, that was um, the third in the icing yeah, yeah. i
2: mean barça dominated the game and and should have been out of sight. Danny Alves playing in a lovely right midfield role. He was, he was actually Barca's best player, I thought. The Nara's are useful though. I mean, uh, there was the crowd was loud. Crowd was yeah, loud. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a. I caught myself watching this game thinking there's a certain subgenre of football that happens in oh, quite often in early rounds of cups. Mm. Uh, elite teams or top level teams usually have continuous floodlighting, so that it's so bright you never really see a shadow. And then all of a sudden you watch a game in the cup, in the early rounds of the cup, and there's just shadows everywhere. The quarter shadow, yeah, the four, four shadows. It's actually, I love it. It's, it's, it's actually quite weird to watch because you've got so used to the continual, you know, 360, very intense floodlights. It's essentially like you're playing in bright sunlight or brighter than, than, than daytime. And therefore, when you go to these, these smaller grounds in the early stages of cup games, as a viewer, it can be really weird at first because you're like, actually, I can't really see it's iconic to, it's yeah. iconic though yeah the, quad, yeah
3: the the quadruple shadow isn't it
2: yeah exactly like, Yeah, I yeah. love that's
3: yeah. iconic I love that yeah yeah yeah
2: there were some other great games in, in the Copa del Rey um, Real Sociedad beat Leganes 3-2 went 2-0 up Leganes pegged them back to 2 all, and then uh, a penalty decided it and uh, Vigo going out to Atletico Belérez 2-1 huge result Betis beat in Valladolid 3 3-0 the, uh, the rest of the Copa del Rey today it's tonight and also there's we better hurry up because uh, Sam Cagliari starts in about an hour goodness
3: (laughs) (laughs) you know there's so much football I I half expect to look out of my curtain window and find like (laughs) Sassarola playing on my lawn
2: (laughs) I was going to say there was supposed to be a full round of Serie A Fix yesterday but there there are four games postponed I think due to Covid Milan Roma tonight that so is recording spicy. Of
3: that. Mm. Goodness me, i will be in the air for that one.
2: Mourinho back in San Siro. Um, before we move on to the other stuff, let's talk about Southampton. So good news for Southampton fans. Yeah, News came out this week that the club has confirmed they have been taken over by Sport Republic. The takeover fee wasn't disclosed, Confirmed. Yeah. disclosed. I think this is a really, really interesting thing for Southampton.
3: It is, actually.
2: I was talking to Southampton Rob about it I mean, we'll we'll go into the the kind of explanation of what it's going to involve, but he's happy about it and he's a good barometer for stuff like that. The only thing he showed a little bit of concern about was the potential of it being part of a network. So for those who aren't aware, um, Sport Republic is a company that has been founded by uh, Rasmus Ankersen, who was the former co-director of football at Brentford for many, many years. He's a big part of the reason that Brentford... uh, progressed through the championship and then into the Premier League. He was responsible for bringing in Thomas Frank and obviously involved in their kind of, I think he started at Midtjylland before he moved over to Brentford. And another partner called Henrik Kraft, who is kind of in, I don't know, like tech and telecoms and stuff like that. Mm. And it's backed by a, a Serbian guy called Dragon Solak, who basically made his fortune from
3: telecoms. Broadband. Yeah, like broadband,
2: broadband stuff like yeah. that. And I think that his company was also the, the company who used to have the rights to Premier League games in Serbia. What they are planning to do is they're, they're going to be very data-driven. Uh, Ankerson is, is famed for his data-driven progress and was part of the reason at Brentford, where well, they analysed and highlighted that the academy wasn't really beneficial to them, so they binned it uh, in favour of a B team. And I think their goal is to... Be not too hands-on from all accounts, not necessarily involved in, in the, the kind of minutiae of the day-to-day running of the football club, but more of the overall strategy in term, from a football playing sense. Mm. And use this as the core to then build a network of clubs around the world, much in the kind of model of the most famous one is obviously the, the City Group and the Red Bull Group. But there, there are others as well. I think potentially this is a really good thing for Southampton because, I mean, we did an episode on what just before Christmas about yeah. the stagnation at the club. And I think a lot of that was down to, to Jal, the previous owner, who's, who's now left. Not investing, but not taking, to be fair, he didn't take any money out of the club.
3: He had his own difficulties financially. And so yeah, he Cyprus. did, yeah. yeah.
2: For a coach like Ralph Hasenhuttle, we said that something needs to change, maybe a break between the club and the coach might be a good thing. But actually, I think this... galvanises it. Yeah, galvanises stuff under under Hasenhuttle because he's someone who relies on analytics as well. And
3: I think this is a really good match. It's my it initial, seems a nice alignment. Say. You know, it's um, what were Rob's reservations though about the club structure?
2: Just about being part of a network of clubs. So he's That's not what he does. He doesn't really, he's not personally into the kind of Red Bull style, City Group style network.
3: Right, right, right. So homogenises it and... Yeah, I think it could be. I mean, based on Ankerson's
2: decision so far, obviously, Brentford, then Southampton, surely that means that the next club on the agenda is going to be Athletic Club because they will only buy teams that play in red and white stripes. (laughs)
3: <laughs> I, um, see, I see, the vision. Well, I don't know. I, th- I think I quite like, the thing I like Do you I know what? Like that about... would be something really funny, actually. If that. <laughs> yeah, we, we suddenly realised what the plan was all along. Yes, we are quiet, <laughs> all red and white. Yeah. Um, what I will say about it is that I think it's a case by case basis, the multi-club structure. I think the challenge is, of course, conflicts of interest. Let's say if clubs start drawing each other in European competition- I do have a bit of a wariness about clubs potentially like from the same group structure competing in like tournaments. I have an issue with that. I don't have a problem with clubs across multi-ownership across, I don't want to sound like some kind of Luddite, but multi-ownership across regions, I think is really good for sustainability of clubs. And I'm always, I'm a bit of a softy in the sense I've always quite liked the idea of like, you know, I always love like twin towns, you know, like traveling, like you go to France, oh, this town is twinned with, I don't know. Colchester or whatever I quite like the idea of cities having these affiliations and if that can be a, an affiliation through football then I think that's really lovely um, mm. so yeah apart from conflicts of interest when these clubs might meet each other in big competitions I'm kind of I kind of quite like it
2: um, well I think if you look at the clubs that tend to do it that tends to be avoided either via geography mm. or via the kind of status or size of the club
3: yeah and that's just my that's my only caveat to all of this because generally actually I'm quite Positive about this, I like. I just mm. like the way that you know. I know it's it's just words, but I think rhetoric's important too. But it just sounds like there's an alignment of mm. interest. You know, we, how many times we talked about a misalignment at board level and what's yeah. happening on the pitch. Whereas, you know, there's a piece that just got. Um, I just saw the Athletic about Richard Arnold's takeover from Ed Woodward at Manchester United, and you know, reading that, what concerns me reading that report very quickly because it's not a United podcast. It's just that like. It just feels like so many people at United are learning on the job. Mm. You know, John, John Mortar cutting a teeth. You don't cut your teeth at Manchester United. It's it's a place that you... It's like being CEO of Prudential. You you are... It's a finish... It's, you're there as the finished article. You're not there in order to like, oh, I'm learning on the job. You don't learn on the job. That is the job, you know? But back to Southampton, of course, it just seems like everybody there, from the owner, you know, who's obviously deeply vested in analytics, how he made his fortune the pitch level to harson and Hüttel, it's like everybody is on the same philosophical page which is I think really important I th- yeah I yeah. think
2: it's a really really great fit and I think that the interesting thing is that I think it's quite a modest nowadays I think mm. it's quite rare to get a modest sensible takeover yeah and I think yeah, this is yeah. quite a um, quite a modest sensible takeover like there will be a little bit of a cash injection but it's not going to be anywhere near the level of like Newcastle United but also we we've, we've spoke about this before about how, like, process and a clear strategy and identity can really get fans on board, whether that is promoting a load of youth players and creating this, this squad or side that everyone really loves. Like, for you know, I talk about it from an Arsenal point of view. I can't remember an Arsenal side having as much goodwill as this season's based on the personnel that are in that for a mm-hmm. long, long time, actually. And that buys you time and that buys you goodwill. And I think with Southampton, there was a lot there with Ralph Hasen And I think he is overall, while some fans I think have been a bit, have started to get a bit jaded by the lack of progress. Overall, I still think he is quite a popular guy. And I, I really like Ralph Hasen as well. I think and he's I don't, a great I coach. don't think
3: he has the pieces either.
2: No, but also I think something like this, like someone with a clear strategic mind, like you, you know, for example, he, Ralph Hasen is going to be a, a guy who is super open to someone being like we've identified this player from here he's going to cost us two and a half million which is absolutely nothing in today's market Mm. and we feel that he will really add something in central midfield Ralph is the kind of coach who's going to really buy into that he doesn't strike me as someone who is an eye test coach so I just think it makes loads of sense it's one of those like really exciting things for Southampton.
3: I'm glad you used that word exciting. I was literally going to say that. It's yeah. really exciting for me because you look at what Brentford have done and mm-hmm. there's no reason why Southampton can't do something um, equally exciting. You yeah, know, because it's, they've,
2: it's, they've, it's, they've achieved the major... They're, they're halfway there in the fact that they're already in the Premier League.
3: Yeah, they're in the Premier League. It's a great place to live. It's a great vibe. It's a great energy down there. Like, I just mm-hmm. think there's so many things about it I find attractive. and As a player moving down there, it's just... What a, what a great invitation that is. What an exciting thing to, to develop Manein out to be part of. And what a great platform for your talent. You've got one oh, of the best coaches 100%. in it. Like it's just, yeah. it's, 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 it's such a great, you know, as a job opportunity, you know, we're going to get into job opportunities later in this podcast and like, you know, how some jobs are not as exciting as they, as they seem to be. Like a career in football isn't, isn't the thrill that everyone might imagine it to be. Um, you know, it's, it's really hard work not only getting there, but staying there, and maintaining it. In terms of job opportunities, arriving at Southampton under this new ownership with that coach in place, and also the sense that this club is underachieving, actually, Mm. in terms of its its size, in terms of its pedigree, uh, its history, and its potential. And that's not a dig at Southampton at all. It's just saying this club has, and when I say underperforming, what I mean is it has room for growth in a very particular sense. I'm quite hyped for them. And the thing I like about it as well, most of all, just to sort of close with this thought, um, is that, you know, we've seen before how really, really smart use of data can close the gap between clubs that have, frankly, limitless resources mm-hmm. and clubs that don't. And I think this could be an example of where we see those gaps just closing here, and there, at least on a week-by-week basis.
2: I absolutely agree. You know, I don't think, for example, Southampton are going to be all of a sudden pushing for the Champions League but I think with things like this it really isn't wild to say okay getting back on track seeing where they were under Poch and then under Kuman you know they mm. finished what like six, seven, eight, something like 8th potentially getting back into Europe especially with the Conference League introduction now it's great for them not only yeah. really miles away uh, let's take a break let's do it
1: okay picture this it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you See website for details. Let's
2: go into the question of, do we need any more football? Because this week, Davey Proper, former Brighton player,
3: currently... Lovely player.
2: He was back at PSV, announced that he will be retiring from football at the age of 30. I'm taking this from a Guardian piece. He said uh, he lost the love for the game in the time away from the Netherlands. On his return, he'd hoped to rediscover the joy, but it was not to be. In the statement that he made, he said, I made the final decision to call time on my playing career before Christmas, and it feels like a relief. That's why I know I've made the right choice. When I was abroad, I gradually lost the love for the game. It was difficult for me to observe the discipline needed to perform at my best and have my life ruled by a hectic football schedule. And the coronavirus crisis and lack of visits from relatives and friends haven't done me any good either. I'm grateful the club, PSV, has made me feel welcome. I had hoped to rediscover the joy of playing football, but it was not to be, as I don't feel comfortable in the world of football. I don't want to be part of it any longer. PSV said that they terminated contract with proper by mutual agreement. This also comes in a week where Barcelona, Real Madrid and Juve have decided that they needed to hire a PR firm to try and uh, win everyone over on the Super League. Goodness me. Big Monty Python, the Holy Grail energy. It's just a flesh wound. Just a flesh wound. (laughs) And also Gianni Infantino has said that the Euros could take place every two years if the World Cup becomes a biennial event.
3: Has someone explained the concept of the calendar to Infantino and like there actually are a fixed number of days in a year? Like there's a fixed number of days in a year.
2: Well, you know what this is. This is just to kind of be like, UEFA, UEFA.
3: Come in a second. In a second. No, 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 I want to tell you something. Come on, come
2: on. Okay, so right, if we do the World Cup every two years, why don't you do the Euros every two years as well? It's just continuous. And then we'll both make loads of money. And like, how about no?
3: How about no? How about no? We've yeah.
2: said this before as uh, people who adore football would gladly watch, I don't know, Darmstadt, Sandhausen, if it was on TV.
3: Yes. Oh, actually, on that note, Thank you for flagging up that amazing article by Seb stafford on and The Athletic yes, on St. Pauli and the Bundesliga in which Darmstadt and Sandhausen play. That was an outstanding essay.
2: Yeah, shouts to Seb stafford That's he...
3: unbelievable. Seb's amazing. And the pros in that, my God. The pros yes, in oh. that. Hey, hey, the writing. I mean, Seb's amazing.
2: I was chatting to Seb the other day, actually. Uh, this is a bit of a tangent, but yeah, people yeah. will know that hopefully we many either. people who listen to this will also be fans of TIFO because we're big, big fans of TIFO. Yeah. And I was talking to Seb on Tuesday and I said, <laughs> I said to him, mm. I came up with a good Tifo Stadio collab idea. So you know that Tifo sometimes, they do the series called Sensible Transfers. Yeah. So I said the Stadio, well, the Tifo Stadio collab could be foolish transfers.
3: Oh my goodness. <laughs> They'll come for us. And I said, to him, for
2: us. I said to him, I just want to say name after name and watch Alex shake his head for an hour. JJ despairing at the lack of fit and then just Joe in the corner pissing himself laughing
3: (laughs) (laughs) can I say actually shout out to Tifo I actually did some work for Tifo before they got big and famous I worked for them before before they were cool you did you did (laughs) yeah back in the
2: day shout out to Tifo good boys yeah Anyway, so yeah, Seb's piece. Go and read it it's on the Athletic.
3: It's really good. But you're saying how you know we all love, like you know, yeah,
2: watched... we love football. Like you know, I think there's a there's a there's a common thing that I think a lot of people throw at people who cover football for a living, and that a lot of people. And we've said this actually before that a lot of people who actually cover football for a living sometimes give the impression that they actually just don't really like it at all. Yeah, they can't yeah. find the joy in it. What we try to do, and I've said this a number of times, and hopefully people who've listened to us for a while will know this, is that we try and celebrate. All the things that deserve celebration, but also, that's right. Yeah, you know, if you truly love something, you've got to pull it up on its bullshit. That's right. And football needs pulling up on its bullshit. It
3: really does. Like a troublesome younger sibling. Yeah. We don't, we don't know how it's moving. We don't know how you're moving.
2: The younger sibling <laughs> who's had it all their own way and has somehow landed the biggest job straight out of uni and is buying too many yachts.
3: That's right. Or the old one who's never had the freedom and all of a sudden now they've got the freedom. They're like, woo! And they're like, oh my <laughs> God, they're regressing. <laughs> it's that energy you as well. Can't stop me now. Exactly. So we've
2: been, we, I mean, I don't think we really went in too much on the biennial World Cup stuff because it was such a ridiculous idea in our opinion that we touched on it a little bit. With this resurfacing of the idea and throwing in an option to almost like dangling the character to UEFA in terms of, you know, you can do your thing every two years. Mm. It raises the question of actually whether there is too much as it is.
3: Mm. I Well, this is to me more of a philosophical question as well. Like you look at David Propper choosing to step away from football and I went and did a look around because there's other players who've done this before. Um, David Bentley is probably the most famous example of an English player who's done it. Andre Schurler recently. Yeah. And I went and looked at Bentley's career because that always interests me. Bentley was a phenomenal footballer, so gifted. And he's really, really, really happy running his restaurant group in Spain, like and his flooring business. He's just really happy. And that's the thing. He made the point, like football is so claustrophobic, so intense, and it's 10, 15 years max, and not everyone earns the huge money. And that money basically has to last you in terms of investments and actual earnings until you're like 70, 80, mm-hmm. right? And uh, I'm going to use a phrase that um, I know Sean Dyche doesn't like very much given his recent pronouncements. I'm going to talk about player welfare. Sean Dyche doesn't like player welfare. Apparently it's a new thing. Does he not? It wasn't around. Well, he said it wasn't around in Frank Lampard's day. It was. That's how we've got advances. And player welfare is a big topic because these are footballers who are being forced through uh, their careers. And yes, they're professional. Yes, they play 10, 15 years at the top. But look at injuries and all the rest that come out of these things. Like this is basically... The current footballing schedule is what I call the war on cartilage, right? Because a lot of these footballers are not going to have knees left. Like playing at this level with this intensity, with increased sprints and the muscle fatigue and all the rest of it. The physical effects of what this is going to do to players, these schedules, the ends of their careers, the intensity of the game is just something else. You know, you watch, you watch football from a previous era where there was no back pass, there was, um, no back pass rule, right? Mm. And there were fewer sprints to now. It's just, it's it's not a different game. It's not. It's not fair to say the to players before who are brilliant, but it's a vastly enhanced game. Yeah. You know the thing about this is, it's almost like you're going to get a lot of undercooked football matches. How many? I don't know. I mean, it's very. This is very anecdotal, Ryan. It's very anecdotal, and it's not. There's no stats behind this. But I think I've seen a higher number of tweets, for example, about players looking exhausted in the last year and a half. Than I've seen in the previous maybe five. I just see it all the time. That player looks leggy, that player's a bit leggy. And it's it's not just the pandemic, right? Because the pandemic's have happened and a lot of people have sort of said, oh, it's the pandemic. No, no, it's it's the pandemic, I think, has emphasized it. But that fixture schedule around Christmas, I was like, Ryan, they're playing all the time. I came up with an idea about this, by the way.
2: And I'm yeah. not sure if it's already been had. It probably has because it seems so simple to me. But I had an idea about how you could manage the English football schedule more right. over Christmas. So basically mm. Premier League stops the weekend before Christmas and doesn't return until the weekend after New Year. And in that time you play two rounds of FA Cup and you if you need to you put in the Carabao Cup semi-finals. Oh wow, okay. Because those yeah, are yeah, games yeah. that people will usually rotate. Mm. Um and The only squads, for example, the Carabao Cup, usually it's four of the best teams in the Premier League through to that. So you would say that they should, in theory, be more able to manage squad rotation through that period because the Premier League, although a trophy is a trophy, not everyone can win trophies, and I think that that sometimes gets overlooked in football. Trophies are scarce. Yes. So every trophy is important. But obviously with the financial importance and pushing for European places and stuff in the Premier League now, that that would take priority over a Carabao Cup game or League Cup game any, any time for, for most clubs. And also usually in the early rounds of the FA Cup, the biggest sides tend to rotate anyway. Yep. So if you did that through the Christmas schedule, you have the opportunity to rest maybe some of the most important players in the squad for a couple of weeks at least. And you essentially squeeze in a bit of a small Premier League winter break without yeah. losing the tradition of playing over Christmas because you then just move the FA Cup forward. To me, for example, the FA Cup third round weekend is is such a great weekend in England. I don't really understand why it happens. Like It's happening this weekend, for example, right? So I'm not sure why that can't happen on Boxing Day.
3: We talk about Christmas movies, right? What is yeah. more of a Christmas movie than an FA Cup tie at a ground of like, you know, 3,000 capacity and a Premier League team playing against like, I mean, that's actually exactly it.
2: You could even change the, the kickoff time slightly so you could have a 1pm kickoff, a 3pm kickoff, a 5pm kickoff, a 7pm kickoff. And a programme of
3: Boxing Day football. I yeah. love that. Like FA the Cup.
2: NBA do it on Christmas Day. Like they, they, they have the Christmas Day schedule. Well, we have that in the league in, in England. I'm not sure whether the very quick turnaround of... Ties. Yeah, of ties would be great for fans but do you, know but you like could you could do that though you could have like boxing day and then save the next fixture date for the for the Carabao Cup semi-finals and then new year's day have the next round of the FA Cup so you could have the F- you could even if you wanted to when you did the third round draw draw the fourth round there and then
3: it galvanizes the FA Cup this is the clever thing about it because everyone's at home you know you look yeah. at the FA Cup third round it kind of gets swallowed up when everyone's back to work but a boxing day FA Cup fixture or round of fixtures that's your entertainment. I think it'd
4: be
2: great like to move the effort oh, forward idea. and then, because then that. like you say you can you, you do then allow clubs who need to rotate to rotate or to rest some players and you could literally give them 10 days to, to two weeks if you wanted to for yeah big 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 league campaigns or big league games. And, and that's not just the same for the Premier League. That could go down the leagues, you know, decides pushing at the top of the Championship as much as they want to, as everyone wants an FA Cup run. The prize of getting into the Premier League is so, so big yeah, for those clubs the at the top yeah. half of the Championship. They would allow them to rotate and you just have more opportunities to rest a few players than you do, for example, you know, if you have to play two or three big games in seven days which is yeah. just frankly ridiculous. There was a... I know we're jumping all over the place a bit, but I wanted to loop in this thing from uh, October that FIFPro did. We didn't touch on it at the time, but they published a report that was saying that FIFPro are trying to implement a, a rule, basically, that limits players to playing five games in what they call the critical zone. Maheta Malango, who's the new head of the PFA, <laughs> said, everyone knows that we're playing too many games. And in FIFPro... What what they call the critical zone is when a player has not been allowed to rest for five right. days. Yeah. So the more games that you play within that cycle, the probability of muscle injuries goes up. I mean, I saw a thing the other day where James Madison did, almost like, I think it was like a TikTok of a day in the life of a footballer. And loads of people underneath it were just like, oh, and people complaining about them playing too many games. And it's like, well, yeah, but the reason that they have these facilities there is because the research and information and... Expertise has gone up to such a level because the smallest details matter now at the absolute highest level. Because, as you said before, the game has been enhanced to such a degree. So, when you enhance the actual game on the football pitch, you ha- that comes from enhancements off it. Yeah. The reason that they've had to advance this to this degree is because otherwise you'd be you'd be fucked. Gone are the days where you know we talk about righty, like righty talks about the Tuesday Club. You know, the famous Tuesday club at Arsenal, the, where they would just go drinking for it. You cannot do that anymore because the difference at the top of the elite level of the game is so small that the smallest thing can make the biggest difference. But players have to go through this all the time. Players have to go through this just to maintain, let alone succeed. And right. I think the thing for us is like, you look at how everyone, and I know I say this a lot, and I know that, you know, I caveat that. I hope people understand that we're aware of all the caveats that come with that in terms of wealth and the benefits that come with that in terms of creating a space through a pandemic that you hopefully don't you know it's not like living in a studio apartment somewhere right it's not no but also i was talking to someone the other day about this about how i wonder how long it's going to take us all to fully recover from the pandemic because i don't think any of us are the same I think what we've all had to go through over the last couple of years has been so seismic, like something is now normal that none of us thought would ever be normal in our lifetime. And that is a huge, huge thing to get your head around from a mental point of view. Now, when your job is every two or three days to maintain at the highest level in front of everyone, everything is televised, everything is clipped for Twitter, right? everything has people in the comments, the level of pressure is so overwhelming. Mm. And to go with that you have the f- the physical fatigue as well because you had the the condensed schedule last season when football came back, sorry the season before, yeah. and then straight into the re- reduced break in the summer before the ne- before last season came back, then you had the Euros this summer which took place all around Europe. You have Afcon going on at the moment. The women's Euros in the summer, obviously the women's game is a little bit different, but it's still the same thing because they yeah. don't have necessarily the facilities across the board. You've got a Winter World Cup this year, so the schedule being brought forward again. So there's a reduced break in the summer because the fixtures have to wrap earlier for the thing. Nothing there. Yeah. Like Even saying that out loud as someone who loves football and would watch pretty much any of it, I'm really dreading this year.
3: Yeah, it's brutal. It's brutal.
2: Not to kind of go, oh, woe is us and oh my God, isn't, doesn't this suck? We're very privileged in what we do. We know that. But yeah, in terms of that. like yeah. having to maintain for the whole year to talk about a World Cup that to be honest,
3: none of us really want to fucking talk about. Yeah. Well, actually, can I, uh, this is, everything you've said is nailed on. And I want to add to that the physical demands. I, I was, because I think this is a related point, Ryan. I was watching Eden Hazard um, recently for Real Madrid. And this is a player who Eden Hazard live is almost, there's there's three or four players who I think have the cut. There's a handful of players who have the same level of elegance when you see them live, right? Eden Hazard's top five in terms of players I've seen live. In terms of the way that he moves, peak Eden Hazard's dribbling style is like almost nothing I've ever seen. It's it's astonishing, right?
2: And if you did get near him, you'd
3: bounce off his behind. It's (laughs) the big, big booty, Eden. But there's the thing here with him. He's lost his explosiveness. It's the way that Hazard plays, right? He's surging into space. A lot of people talk about his weight when he joined rail. It's not just about that explosiveness. And we've seen this with Rooney, Shevchenko, players who rely on explosive power, right? Not just technique, but the explosiveness to get away from your, your marker and the physical wear and tear brought on by the backlog of fixtures playing in that zone they talk about like year in, year out. Didier Drogba and John Terry talking about how for years they just played hurt. Footballers are playing hurt in pain all the time. Your favourite footballers you'll be watching are in, you know, severe pain, a lot of them. Not all the time, but a lot of the time. You look at these footballers and you're thinking, well, something has to give. It's not just something has something's already given. Andrew Shevchenko, uh, Fernando Torres, Torres moving is probably the best example of that. Torres moving to Chelsea for £50 million pounds and people going, what's happened to him? Well, this man ran himself into the ground so that Spain can win that world cup he destroyed his body he took the gamble on destroying his body because he wanted in the world cup with spain but that's a gamble he should not have had to take you put a parachute on a player's back and then you complain because they're running slowly mm-hmm. you know it's wild it's absolutely wild so we're talking about oh like the worst could happen the worst has already happened we've seen a spectacular physical decline of some of the game's most explosive players in and around the age of 29, 30. And maybe it's no irony that David Propper leaves. Oh, no, it's no coincidence, he leaving the game at, thir- at 29, 30. That Bentley steps away at 29, that Schürrle leaves at 29. You know, Schürrle, there's a combination of the physical intensity, yes. There's a combination of the fact that he'd won the World Cup with Germany. And frankly, I think that you could argue that, that goal, World Cup winning goals, destroying players. I looked at like, you know, Goethe and Schürrle, the two protagonists in that goal. And also, you know, Romero as well, and what that does to the goal as well. There's, 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 there's a there's a documentary done about, about how World Cup winning goals can destroy, can yeah. destroy players. We've I mean, talked about this a lot, yeah. Absolutely, but, but back to the point in terms of the fatigue, it's just funny that we've been talking for the last sort of, you know, few minutes, Ryan, about what this could do to football, but it's already done that to football. Like, the legacies of Shevchenko, Torres and Rooney are severely affected. Mm-hmm. They're diminished, actually, in some cases, by things which weren't fundamentally their own fault. There are a few sports, I think,
2: that have such a disregard for the people who they rely on to generate income.
3: We say this in the same week that Garbon had to complain on their way to the AFCON, they weren't being paid bonuses.
2: They waited until they got assured them, paid them, and then they stepped on the plane and fair play to them because...
3: Yeah, I love that. I love that for them.
2: We're aware that footballers are paid a huge amount of money. We talked about the other day with regards to Lukaku's contract at Chelsea. We're aware... The industry dictates what is available. It's the same with the NBA. Like you look at the yeah. NBA contracts compared to football. And yeah, I mean, look at the amount of games that the NBA play and the same thing. But they, how many times do players get rested? And also in terms of what the intensity of the game is, it's a different sport and it's, hard, it's very hard to compare. It's like saying, you know, oh, someone can play four, three set matches of tennis in a week. Yeah. Different sports, but different strains on the body. What doesn't happen, you know, in tennis, they're not pushing to double the amount of majors.
3: Exactly, exactly.
2: You don't get the golf being like, do you know what? We're going to make the British Open every six weeks because fuck it, it's golf. Why not? Mm. They know how prestigious that tournament is, or the same, in, same in tennis, and the same in the NBA. Like it's, it's the same in the NBA. You know, the fact that they, the season is the season, and that's what that that's in the NBA. It's actually. Um, interesting what's going on is that a lot of people are calling have been calling for a long time about reducing the schedule Yeah, you know da- even down to like how they can get how can they shave 10 games off the schedule and make it 70 games or 72 games right. a season Um, no, one, no one's talking about adding more they're trying to figure out ways to reduce the schedule
3: absolutely yeah
2: the reason they don't is because obviously the amount of money per, per game I mean, I, w- I wish there were less games in the NBA, to be honest, because saw it, but I watched the Pacers last night, Kyrie's return against the Pacers, Pacers oh, were 19 points up, lost to the Nets.
4: But anyway, oh goodness.
3: oh goodness,
2: no. I would rather go through that 10 games less a season. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> back to the football. And I know we've, we've meandered all over the place here, but it, I think all of it is into,
3: lo- like the, it is, it's all connected, man. <laughs> I'm just going like the always also sunny right, Philadelphia right. view. We're, yes, we're meandering, but they, they knew what this was, right?
2: Yeah, they knew what this was. Listen, they we're was, about what? Was, yeah. We're over 200 episodes in now. Yeah, you, exactly.
3: You're still here. It's if not going to change. You, if, you,
2: if you cannot forgive us, I'm meandering. Then what the hell have you been doing all this stuff? Life is <laughs> short, people. Like, you sounded like
3: Pep for a second there. If you cannot forgive us.
2: <laughs> I'm so happy. So, <laughs> so
3: happy, so happy.
2: What I'm saying is that we all know why this is happening. It's a, it's a money thing. Mm. What should be happening, especially if you take the Super League <laughs> attempted revival UEFA and FIFA and all the rest of the confederations are there to govern the game. Yeah, I actually think there should be more governance. I think more power should be taken away from the clubs. UV, Barcelona, Real Madrid are talking about UEFA's monopoly. UEFA is literally the governing body of the fucking sport that they're in. It's the confederation. Right. Yes, they have a monopoly because that's what they're there to do. Are we massive fans of UEFA? No. And this was a lot of things that we've r- repeated a number of times when the Super League stuff came up. It's just like, don't let UEFA come, a, come out as the good guys here because they're not. What is completely evident, though, is that who can be trusted with that increased revenue? There is enough revenue circulating around football. What needs to happen, and we've said this a million times before, is the game needs to be refined and be made more efficient. The sport needs to be made more efficient. The very, very elite top-level clubs need to reduce the amount of money that they have access to, not increase it. Yeah. If you talk about the Biennial World Cup, it's all about, they, they push this thing about like taking football to the rest of the world. That's what it's all about. There are other ways to do that than to add another major tournament in a summer. Like if the World Cup goes every two years and the Euros go every two years, you're going to have major tournaments
3: every season, every off season. Wall-to-wall football is going to be, un- well, it's already, it already is wall-to-wall. Don't add more, 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 because where can it go? It reminds me of, it reminds me of the the metaphor for this is vaccines going to waste. You know, being in Germany, you know, obviously we live in Germany and it's like one of the world's richest countries and there are like vaccine appointments that people just don't turn up to. Meanwhile, there Mm -hmm. are other countries where less than 1% of the population has been fully vaccinated. And it's just this unequal distribution where there's enough money in football for everyone to eat, there's enough money in football for everyone to be happy and be sustainable. There just there just is, but the distribution is so wildly unequal. I know that I'm. Some will say, Ah, so that's you appear to be describing capitalism, and I'm sure I'm going to get a few of those messages or tweets, you know. But yes, I am describing capitalism, and yes, it is a problem for me because so much can be done better mm. now. And this is it sound like a massive tangent. But I'll just get into it. So I live um, suburbs of London. Oh, my mum my does, and in a local area, we have had two stabbings in the last week and the inequality has flown off the scale in that town. And living in that town, I go back there and some parts of the town, the parts nearest the train station, of course, because they're the bougie ones that the commuters live in, are just spick and span and they're glorious. And they look like basically like that suburb looks a bit like Hammersmith now at this point, right? It looks like Chiswick as in some parts. But other parts have not received any investment at all, Ryan, in thirty years. And one of those parts down at the farm is where the stabbing happened. And you know, it's so funny about it. when I heard this, there was a stabbing. I was like, I know where that is. I, I know, I know, I knew immediately the area where the stabbing had happened in because it's the local, it's down to the local park where they didn't, they couldn't be bothered for 25 years, the local council to build anything, not a lick of paint on the swings. And it feels like football right now is like my hometown where everyone invests in the nice fancy bits that everyone sees the most and pays no attention to the bits by the canal or the local park because the poor kids live there and no one really cares about the poor kids. And that's what gets me so much. And I know I'm saying the obvious here, but it it just frustrates me periodically because with a single stroke of a pen, the fate of innumerable people within clubs could be changed. Like it could be that simple. Like (laughs) there's no way they'll allow us into the UEFA for offices. (laughs) But if they ever did, they ever did, like allow people, and there's a lot of people, and also just quickly, in respect to you, there's a lot of people in these organizations, and we hear from them who are amazing. My theory mm-hmm. of big organizations is always the same: it's that in every huge organization, there are incredible people who are promoted yep. and there are mediocre people who are overpromoted. And if you just swapped around the mediocre and the brilliant ones, you'd have incredible institutions. I'm a big fan of institutions. as It happens uh, for the most part. I think they're essential structures. Um, that's because a, you're an institution, study as an institution, anyway. It's definitely not, <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely do, not. Do you know what I mean? Though? just to sort of, I know it's a bit of a rant there, but just I get frustrated periodically by the underinvestment in key areas where it's so obvious that improvement could be seen. It's so obvious, and some of these, some of these pushes for like you know, football every two. You know what we're going to find actually years later, we're going to find a lot of people lobbying for football, um, huge tournaments every two years, have got like investments in transport infrastructure <laughs> and like healthcare and all these associated businesses that benefit from football being like huge tournaments every two years. Like, we're going yeah. to find it was all a massive scam to feed something they had investments in.
2: Football at the top level is run by people who don't really give a fuck about the game. Yeah, yeah. They don't give a shit about the people who are absolutely integral to the game operating. Yeah. If every single footballer in the world strikes over the amount of games that are being played, UEFA, FIFA, all of these organisations, the FA, the Premier League, they all have to listen to them. Mm. Because they are the people who people tune
3: in for. Provide the spectacle, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the escapism, yeah. No matter how much
2: money they're being paid, they're not robots.
3: That's exactly the word that, that uh, David Bentley used. That's yeah. exactly the word he used, robotic, you're robots. That's exactly it.
2: There has been no sign at any level of the of um, football governance that player welfare has been taken into ca- into account when scheduling anything or when any new ideas come up. I, I wrote, I literally wrote a thing on this for the Ringer about
4: yeah, what Champions League, yeah. you know,
2: everything's more, 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 yeah, yeah, and it's just like no, we don't need it to be
3: more. No one needs it to be more, apart from the people who a few key shareholders, yeah. You know, it's actually frustrating because I saw was that Elon Musk the other day made seventy-eight billion dollars in a day, in a day, and I, I saw that just you know in terms of the inequality. And I, I know these things are structural, not individual. At one level, I, I guess I kind of blamed myself, Ryan, because I thought we can produce as many policy proposals and papers as we like. We're not so inside gonna... the building. We're not inside no. the building, and it's so easy to ignore us. And I, I had a thought the other day. I thought to myself, all these kind of complaints, protests that we make. You know, when you see people sometimes like you know on a sort of um on a canal boat going down the middle of the river. I feel like our complaints feel like, like waves are just lapping against the sides of the canal boat and the people that have the power on the canal boat. And they're just like casually, calmly ignoring us. And this is my frustration with all of it. I don't know what the levers of change are, to be honest with you. Um, That's not the most up tempo note, upbeat note on which to leave, but maybe sometimes it's good to, to finish on a note of, of Frustration, uncertainty, because maybe that's where you know that, that frustration is maybe where sort of solutions spring from. But something has to change, and I wonder what a more active role in change would entail. All the players just
2: all of a sudden just strike direct action, yeah. See, and see how quick they budge then,
3: yeah. Samuel Etu, shout out to Samuel Etu, that's a positive sign. Samuel Etu, head of the Cameroon FA now, president yeah. of the Cameroon FA, etu talked about that. He said, When you start hurting the money in relation to racism, football. Go after the money, he said, things start changing. Because football doesn't need, then, yeah, at the top right level, then, football
2: yeah. doesn't need more money. It needs more money lower down the pyramid. But the yeah. thing is, what they've done is, all of the, all of these confederations and federations have got themselves into a position where they've highlighted the problem, but the solution isn't going to fix it, actually.
3: No, 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 not at all.
2: And the reason for that is because the solution that will fix it will need a lot more strategic planning and will take a lot longer and the process will be much longer. It's the yeah. same with, it's the same with like, we've said this before, but it really is the same with like European, spreading the wealth within Europe. When you have Romelu Lukaku talking about how there are three clubs that people want to play for. Three. And Kylian Mbappe is, is available to talk to any clubs in Europe now outside of France. And there are what, realistically, probably two clubs who could afford him. That's right. And the solution to that isn't to generate more income, it's to clip it at the top. But they've, 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 they've created a mess for themselves. I think we've probably said this out of the 200, well, I think this is 200, episode 213.
3: I reckon at least 110 episodes we've said somewhere. Can I say this? This is wild, actually. It's funny you mentioned this, Ryan. You mentioned Mbappe, and I'm thinking about this. killing Mbappe, if you look at like the mid-80s, if Kylian Mbappe in the mid-1980s went on the market, a player of that quality went on the market, there is a sizable list of clubs that could afford a player of that quality then. He could legit go to Rangers. He could have gone to a lot. Is, isn't that, isn't that mind-blowing? Yeah. And this is the thing. And now, that, that's, that's a laughable prospect in terms of the financial might you need. That's the startling thing. And again, yes, but someone's going to say, <laughs> we're going to get so many tweets going, you appear to be describing the history of capitalism. Like, Yeah, we are. Yeah, and we are. Also, because yeah, that's yeah. exactly what it is. <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> but the difference
2: between football and capitalism in general is that... <laughs> if bankers and people like that were being pushed to the level and through their paces that footballers are, and it was taking such a toll on their body, it would change overnight. It would.
3: (laughs) Yes. And the funny thing you've mentioned actually, Ryan, about um, you mentioned uh, certain sports don't have this sort of, we're not going to double the majors. You mentioned golf in particular. Well, golf is interesting because golf is one of those sports where the social class, the people playing it and the administering it, is one of the closest together. Like that is, and that is why things happen because you're upsetting the same people you're in the clubhouse with. You're <laughs> not doing that in football. You're not doing that you're in not. football. You're like not. The people that, the people that watch golf, like as a, that, that can afford to like consume it, uh, play it at the, even the amateur level. Like that's a different, so that's why things get done because you're annoying the same kind of people you're going to see around. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I suppose that's the thing with football that frustrates me so much is that Class? The, the open Yeah, it's class. And the open secret with the administrators is they know that if they do take football to two World Cups, or World Cup every two years and Euros, people will watch. People will watch because people have never craved a sort of escapism like they have now. And that's the frustrating thing. The Qatar World Cup is just another one of those milestones where we'll look at it and be like, people really thought they could do anything to football and they were kind of right. Um, so the frustration, we're almost appealing to a sense of shame or morality that may not be at the very topmost reaches, but this actually, this podcast, as far as I'm concerned, I'm talking to people within the middle management of UEFA and FIFA and these clubs that really, really care, that are frustrated, who know they're under-promoted to push this conversation forward internally, because I know they can do it. I know they exist because I get messages from them now and again, and I hope that they feel emboldened and empowered over time with all these changes coming into the game and these reforms to just be like, you know what, stop. Because they did it with the Super League. They did it with that. They can do it again.
2: I know this is very much like two old men whinging about how much football there is, but I'll circle back and say what I said at the top. I love football. We cover a huge range of leagues in both the men and women's game on Stadio and Wright's House, and hopefully a wide range of topics around that. Do we need more football? No. Do we need the calendar to be restructured to give players the time to recuperate physically throughout the season? Yes. Do we also need to free up space within the summers between seasons for players to have space and recuperate mentally? Yes. Because the demand isn't just physical. I'm not, I can already see the comments of people who might disagree with what we're saying here, being like, wow, playing three times a week for like 200 grand a week. Wow. What a shame. It's not just that. It's mental. Yeah, I know we've kind of gone a little bit all over the place there, but it's something we wanted to talk about.
3: Yeah, I'm glad we did. Do you, have you got any solutions, Musa? President of UEFA 2024. The campaign starts now. Stadio presidency.
2: <laughs> Do you know what Musa Okwanga running for UEFA president?
3: <laughs>
2: I don't think that's a bad shout. You know, the
3: reform candidates. <laughs>
2: Musa takes over at UEFA and all of a sudden the Champions League is two-leg knockout and all of a sudden Deportivo La Coruña are in there. What the hell? They're not even, they haven't even qualified for the Champions League. Shall we depart? Let's depart. Uh, we hope everyone's staying safe and well. Obviously get vaccinated if you can. Get that boosted if you can. Uh, next week, Ringer FC, normal schedule, returns. i not get to check stadio.football scroll to the bottom, pop your email address in, sign up for the newsletter. ringer.com forward slash soccer Anything you want to have, Musa? No, I'm all good. I'm all good. Lovely. Oh, well, don't forget to set Stadio Outro's playing on Spotify. And on that note, we're playing out on All of a Sudden by Laraji. Uh, we're going to drift out to this one. Have a lovely weekend, everyone. We'll be back on Monday. See you then.
0: All of a sudden, it's another self. It's another vibration. It's another state of seeing. We may have been here before, we may have taken this path, one time, long time ago. All of a sudden, it's another smile, it's another heartbeat, it's another style of thinking. And who can remember the embraces weren't this warm before? All of a sudden it's a different world, it's a different time, it's a different different path. It's a different time. It's a different sun in the sky. Warm feeling floods the world again. This time we're at the center of it all. All of a sudden it's a different time. It's a different pace, it's a different melody. All of a sudden, it's a different self. It's a different purpose, it's a different direction.
1: This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike kingdom and the planet of the apes enter the kingdom in imax on may 10th and in theaters everywhere get tickets now this episode is brought to you by state farm you might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong but these are the words you really
4: need to remember like a good neighbor state farm is there they've got options to fit your unique insurance needs meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need have coverage options to protect the things you value most